Saswa is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit saswa.com. season is nearly here, which means millions of people will be heading for national parks and national forests. As it turns out, a few of them won't be coming back. Each year, hundreds of people are reported missing in our parks and forests. Most are eventually found, but there's a smaller category of cases that never get solved, including a few close to home. The I-Team's George Knapp is here with the story. George. It's not a revelation to say that people get lost out in the wilderness or in forest areas. We're talking about a different kind of mystery, though. Disappearances that are not caused by predator attacks or criminals hiding out there in the woods or just bad luck. A former cop has put together hundreds of case files regarding clusters of missing persons in national parks where the circumstances are flat-out strange. But don't expect any answers from the Park Service. This is Saswa, a podcast about Bigfoot. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. I'm joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matsky. Hello there. And tonight we are talking about aggressive, homicidal Bigfoot encounters. And um, this was spurred on mostly by the fact that right now there is an influx of uh, recounting, uh, especially in the social networking world, of Stories that involve Bigfoot attacks and Bigfoot murders and Bigfoot kidnappings. And I think a lot of this stems from, and Mark, you can speak to this, I'm sure. But um, I think a lot of this stems from missing 411. You think I'm right? That certainly is a huge element here, I have to believe. Even though, you know, those books, as far as I know, I've not read them, but I've heard an awful lot of the uh, the stories contained in them uh through Coast to Coast AM and other sources. They never seem to go as far as saying it's Bigfoot, but I mm-hmm. think we all know now, the shadow behind the tree is supposed right. to be Bigfoot, right? Right. I think we're supposed to draw that. I don't know, actually. I don't, I don't know the conclusion. I've never understood the, the the deal with those books where it's this very vague kind of draw-your-own-conclusions kind of thing. I, I get what he's doing, but I don't get what he's doing mm-hmm. with those books. But... um. Okay, aggressive Bigfoot encounters. These have actually been a part of the lore going all the way back to the 1800s. There's violent Bigfoot uh, reports in newspapers dating back to the mid-1800s. I found some just in a brief uh, review before we started recording uh, from 1856, I want to say 1856. And uh, one of the stories I'm going to talk about is all the way back in the 18 or uh, yeah no 1900 actually, so so it's not like this is a new thing. People have been reporting violent encounters with Bigfoot. It's just there's there seems to be more of a slant toward this uh, homicidal murderer, whereas I think a lot of the older reports, to me anyway, read as fantastical retellings of of a natural animal attack. You know, almost like if someone told the story of a grizzly bear attack in the 1900s or early 1900s or late 1800s, it would probably read similar, you know, the 
hideous hairy beast with giant claws attacking you. Um, I I don't I I think a lot of this uh, and I don't want to go too much into this, but I think a lot of the the violent you know Bigfoot monster reports um, stem from this weird need to put some sort of uh, boogeyman in our woods, right? So when we go out in the woods, we can have have some added adventure. You know, it's not crazy enough that there's an eight foot tall hairy man ape running around the woods. We also have to make him. Uh, kidnap our children and and murder our dog and do all sorts of awful things um and you can speak to that if you want but i, I did want to point out i had talked before on a past episode about uh, a, a thesis that i had found online about wild men reports and in reading through that he had gone into the, the author of that and i don't have that paper in front of me but i'll try to dig it up for the show notes uh the author of that thesis had talked about how uh, there were violent wild men encounters back when it was called the wood wolves. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a long, there's a long history of this boogeyman of the woods kind of thing. And I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. You know, there's, I'm sure there are, if, if these things exist, if Bigfoot exists, there's probably been violent encounters before. And obviously if it's a territorial animal, if it's an animal that has children, it's going to be defensive of its children. Uh, if it's young, if it's if it's trying to get food, it's probably going to snap something's neck if it needs it. Certainly, the Minerva monster case has a dead dog with a broken neck, and there's an interesting reason for that. And I'm hoping as we talk, Mark, through some of these reports and stuff, that we can maybe explore what the natural causes would be beyond just a um, psychotic killer, hairy killer. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I think there's a lot to what you're saying here in the early going about where these reports finally come from. Mm-hmm. One thing that you very quickly discover if you actually start to look for reports of Bigfoot killing people is that there's some amazingly tantalizing stories that are out there, none of which can be substantiated. Right. That becomes an all-too-familiar refrain is that you get some report of a camping party and uh, police or rangers discover this, and it's just a terrible scene, and, you know, the authorities know about this. But then there's no police report whatsoever. There's nothing in the public record that this happened. There's no family members saying, Bigfoot killed my son. You know, there's nothing. And Perfect. so it, it, it borders on urban legend, exactly. quite frankly. California's lost coast. More than 400 square miles of unpopulated forests, mountains, and streams. Look out! But maybe not so unpopulated. Ladies and gentlemen, I am pleased to announce we are now officially on our way out of Los Angeles. That was the turn right there. This old guy we're going to go interview, he's claimed that he's bagged himself a dead Bigfoot. Native Americans believe he's got one foot in the spirit world. Stop trying to explain it and just... This, this is a really... i got to jump in here because this is a great segue for me to bring up my first report, which, which I found on BigfootEncounters.com where I tend to turn to for a lot of these reports. Um, and you can go back to whatever your thought was there, but as long as you're talking about uh, killing campers, I found a report called uh, uh, 
or no, actually, this is Inyo County, Bishop, California, mid to late 1970s is what the report is entitled. So it's already extremely vague. But then it starts out, uh, and this was written by a man, uh, Rich Grumley, who is in the California Bigfoot Organization from 35 to 2000. He wrote in 1980 to 81, the year I was born, I was working as a security guard on a high-tension tower project here in California. I met a man who was a cat skinner operating a bulldozer, leveling off the pads, blah, blah, blah. During the conversation, I mentioned Bigfoot, and he told me that in the mid to late 1970s, he was doing a little poaching with the forestry official's permission in a locked and gated area near Bishop, California. They had given him a key so he could get in anytime he wanted. This particular time, the gate was still locked. He let himself in with his four-wheel pickup to the area known as Four Points. He drove over a hill, and there to his surprise were Department of the Interior Vehicles and Bureau of Land Management men all in their Smokey the Bear outfits with guns, searching a campground, the hills, mountains, roads, etc. They grabbed this hunter, took his deer rifle away from him, and questioned him for seven, seven to eight hours as to what he was doing there. Local forestry officials identified him as a trusted friend. He was let go, but told to never come back. He had determined during his interrogation that the reason the BLM and Department of Interior were there in force was that a Bigfoot creature had gone through there the day before and had torn up the campground, had turned over a large trash container that no man can even begin to move. And then just just at the end of that sentence, it adds, and had killed several people. Um, over the years, the story was passed through several people, in fact, quite a few Bigfoot researchers, but no one was able to come up with one single clue. Uh, I found it very interesting. Um, it goes on to say that some eventually a, a former policeman who said that he was in the Bishop Police Force in the mid to late 1970s confirmed it. But um, that's hearsay as well. And the whole story, <laughs> the whole story seems so far-fetched and and of, of course this is where the you know the the interesting thing and i hate to keep going back to the bigfoot conspiracy stuff because i i really d- have no opinion one way or the other hard on it i i have a real hard time accepting it but i'm not completely discounting it automatically either um i don't yeah i'm not going any further into it but anyway i think this is a good uh, uh, sort of example of how this kind of thing can come around this seems like a really cool story right so you read it and you're like, but how would, I mean, the, the logical question is how would these people, if there's several people dead, how would this word of this have not gotten out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the only reason to make that happen is if someone had been hushed up, here comes the Department of Forestry hushing up the death of several campers, and automatically we have a very romanticized um, conspiracy theory covering up a... And it's a great story, right? Because you've got this wrecked camp and you've got dead people all over the place and somewhere in the woods a Bigfoot screaming and he's holding someone's chopped off arm in a hand and wavering it over his head like a tomahawk. I mean, it's it's a fantastic story, but it's completely unverifiable. It's, exactly. it's really similar to uh, the UFO stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a very similar story, and the details of this I think you will appreciate. Um, This comes out of the 1970s in Bend, Oregon. Uh, Let's see. Based on a phone call from someone in the TV industry. So right away, you're like, okay. Who relayed details of the interview conducted with an unnamed state trooper. 
As summarized, the policeman commented on four hunters being killed in the Bend area. The rifle had been found twisted out of shape. There was a report from the Forest Service of a Sasquatch footprint of large size that had been found in a lava bed near Bend, where lava had been fresh at the time. The Forest Service people said also that a large-breasted female Sasquatch had been seen in the Bend area. So, you know, again, where's the police report? Were four men hunting with a single rifle? Uh, how could Bigfoot <laughs> stroll through fresh lava? I mean, where was that? Oregon's last <laughs> eruption was in 1860. But it's just stuff like that, you know, that <laughs> it has all the hallmarks of these uh, fantastic stories. But in the end, it just goes nowhere. It's a great story, though. I mean, it is. It is. You got to give it over. As long as we're going to talk about that, you know, I I wanted to talk. We've mentioned it before, but the um, Ape Canyon incident could definitely be considered an, an aggressive encounter. Mm-hmm. There's there's aspects to the Ape Canyon story that, that have precedent, or not precedent, but they are definitely repeated uh, actions and characteristics of Bigfoots that we see in other reports. Some, not all, but some. The the throwing of rocks. There's and and. An interesting aspect to that story as well is the fact that one of the apes was supposedly killed. So there, again, you know, we can come across kind of a something that might point to a known creature, which is kind of a they might have sensed some sort of territorial territorial dispute with these miners. Um, but anyway, that is all to say that I found these articles out of the sixes mining camp. Did, did you ever read these? They're in Chad Armand's book, the one we always reference. Oh, yeah. Yes, okay. indeed. All right. Well, I found this one. I want to talk about it real quick. This is in the Sixes Mining District in um, the the stories ran in Oregon. This one ran in the Lane County Leader in April 7th, 1904. But if you read, uh, Mark and I reference this book a lot. Chad Arment's book, Historical Bigfoot, uh, basically collections of newspaper articles. This one is called... Six's wild man again visits the cabin of miners and frightens prospectors. Now, the the opening of this is basically just about the men constantly seeing this uh, these these figures. I think this only references one figure constantly making noise and and scaring people. So I'm going to jump a little ways down through the article, or we'll be here all night because this is a long one. But it says, um, uh, the first appearance occur- appeared on Thompson Flat. W.M. Ward and a young man by the name of Burleson were sitting by the fire of their cabin one night when Burleson, when they heard something walking around the cabin which resembled a man walking, and when it came to the corner of the cabin, it took hold of the corner and gave the building a vigorous shake and kept up a frightful noise all the time, the same noise that has so many times warmed the venturesome miners of the approach of the hairy man and caused them to flee in abject fear. Mr. Ward walked to the cabin door and could see the monster plainly as it walked away and took a shot at it with his rifle. But the bullet went wild of its mark. The last appearance of the animal was at the Harrison cabin only a few days ago. Mr. Ward was at the Harrison cabin this time and again figured in the excitement. About five o'clock in the morning, the wild man gave the door of the cabin a a vigorous shaking which aroused Ward and one of the Harrison boys who took their guns and started in to do the intruder. Ward fired at the man, and he answered by sending a four-pound rock at Ward's head, but his aim was a little too high. He then disappeared in the brush. Uh, it goes on to say that, that they vowed, the miners vowed to have their, their vengeance on this on this creature. But I love this story because it, it reminds me of Ape Canyon. It, it also reminds me of some of the Area X 
North American Wood Ape Conservancy encounters uh, in the Wachita Mountains. Um, and that mention of shaking, uh, shaking the cabin, this is repeated a lot. This is one of those things like you and I did the episode where we talked about repeated characteristics. This is this is something that I've seen in many reports. Uh, a, an animal putting a hand or smacking the side of a house, shaking. Uh, there's a lot of reports of shaking not just cars, but mobile homes and trailers and RVs and, and cabins. So I, But I think this is a really cool story because it reminds me of Ape Canyon. It's 1904. And it's in this one area that has repeated reports. This isn't, this is a, there, there's a whole series of articles, uh, I'd say six or seven in this one book alone. And if there's six or seven in this book, then I'm sure there's more out there. The thing that's great about that story that you read is that it does combine a number of different forms of Bigfoot aggression. Right. You know, you have the, the violent behavior towards a structure, um, and there's a whole body of report uh, that has been taken about, you know, Bigfoot, like you said, uh, slapping the side of a house or shaking it or, or running into it, what have you. The rock throwing as well is another stream of uh, aggressive behavior. So it, from a rather early perspective, it, it touches on behaviors that, um, you know, clearly have been set into a pattern at this point. Mm-hmm. And there's... Yeah. There's also, I mean, you could just keep going and going with like this uh, minor or prospector. It's like a subgenre of especially <laughs> old Bigfoot reports. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. looking at a whole bunch of those. You know, one, uh, this was um, in the Grizzly Lakes area. There, there's uh, 17 Grizzly Lakes that exist in wow. uh, six Western U.S. states. So which one it is, is anyone's guess. But right. from the 1860s, there's a story of uh, three brothers mining copper. One sibling vanishes while wintering alone in the cabin. The second disappears the next year, leaving a journal entry that describes strange hairy monsters prowling outside. And the lone survivor's fate is unrecorded. But, you know, it, it's sort of a, like I said, it, it's a whole subgroup of these, um, you know, the great, the adventure of the the Pacific Northwest and striking out on your own and being uh, this you know prospector type or uh, trying to find your fortune out there. It seems like part of that adventure for some people includes um, you know uh, these stories about the danger that you encounter when you go out there. And if you mm-hmm. look at it from sort of a folkloric perspective, that might be part of what's at the root of this. Is there's you know cautionary tales about you know you can go out there and try to find you know, your uh, vein of gold or whatever it is you're looking for, but you're doing so at great personal risk. There may even be you know uh, violent ape men out there who are waiting sure. to uh, waiting to attack. Yeah, and and there's reports similar to this one even here in Ohio. We have the uh, a report I talk about quite often, which is the Coshocton ape. I mean, um, one of those newspaper articles that talks about the Coshocton ape uh, mentions four or five men wandering around in the dark under a tree armed looking for this ape that's been reported. And the ape leaps down out of the tree and, and attacks them and then runs off. Um, there's there, there definitely is a history of these sort of things. And 
You know, I keep mentioning the, the romanticized... Uh, I don't think romanticized. I, I guess exaggerated would probably be a better word. Exaggerated sort of horrific view of Big, Bigfoot, which is... It's big right now. Um, His eyes looks right into my soul. Some call it a hoax. Wow. Are you kidding me right now? But three filmmakers... This area has the most reported sightings in the world. We're going to get a sighting. What you doing with that camera? I'm trying to find Bigfoot. ...are about to discover... Do you see something? You want to see him? You will see him. I can't go any further. Wait! I'm lost. How real it can be. I heard something. I heard something. I've seen people posting online where they're they're literally keeping their children from going camping. They're they're they don't believe you know they should be out in the woods. Kids should be out in the woods um, because they might get mauled or eaten by a bigfoot, kidnapped and run off by a bigfoot. Um, it's stupid for people to be out in the woods looking for bigfoot because he'll most likely murder you. That kind of thing. Wow. Yeah, I mean. But but there is there is a history, like I said, there is a history sh- certainly of of violent encounters. I mean, and some of them do seem, you know, legitimate. Um, it's it's interesting to try to draw a line between the the violent Bigfoot, you know, what were t- quote unquote violent Bigfoot encounters, and then Bigfoot encounters that involve some sort of attack on livestock or pets, um, because you know animals. Uh, especially predatory animals don't get along well with other animals of mm-hmm. of different species traditionally i mean that's that's how that's how things work in nature so but what's weird with bigfoots is isn't just that they're out there you know i find the odd you know dog killing or or chicken killing i don't find that that strange it's it's just an animal but what is odd is things like um i just read a report today where a guy was talking about how he had found uh, chickens from his had been had been going missing from his his uh, his coop, and he he found them in the woods behind his house, and they'd actually been plucked of all their uh, of all their feathers, and then laid in a row. And he had seen a Bigfoot at some point before this, so he drew the line. You know, he drew that parallel. Well, obviously, this was a Bigfoot that did this. Um, there's there's things like. Uh, the animal deaths down in Bolivar, where I grew up, which the farmers in the woods back there did attribute some of those to, to Bigfoots, um, where those deer were found ripped in half, um, stuffed up in trees. There were deer found with the hides ripped off. Um, very odd. It doesn't. It almost doesn't seem like just an animal killing, right? Because some of the stuff seems like this weird brutality involved. But is it, or is it just an animal? You know, they f- maybe they found some unique way of eating this, de- <laughs> of eating this deer. You know, I don't know that kind of stuff because I'm not quite intelligent enough. Um, a friend of mine from Facebook messaged me that he was hunting down in Coshocton back in the day, and he came into a clearing and found um, de- um, ducks hanging by their necks in a clearing uh, from trees, and literally their heads were tied in, their their necks were tied into a knot. And they were hanging from trees, and and he thought that was an, an unusual, you know. Of, of course, when you know 
we jump to Bigfoot, but there's obviously hunters out there who would do that. I mean, maybe crazy sociopathic, yeah. psychopathic hunters. Regardless, that's a place I would want to leave immediately. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the den of dead ducks, you mean? Yes, precisely. Yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting. It's 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 interesting to try to figure out, you know, like what are you classifying as a violent or aggressive Bigfoot encounter? You right. know, obviously obviously there there are stories in native folklore of 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 Sasquatch stealing children and running off into the night with them. It, does that have a basis in reality? I think that's an important distinction because, you know, on one hand you have these grisly death reports you know and the entire campground you know is blood red and the you've got the authorities searching and and making anonymous claims about that all of which is un, unsubstantiated completely but mm-hmm. then on the other hand you have an entire uh you know a huge group of reports from eyewitnesses who have said something grabbed me through my car window yeah and uh, I've got the scratches to prove it, and we took pictures and things like that. And some Can of those I... seem awfully arbitrary, you know, just strangely violent. Like, what would possess a creature like that to just, you know, grab somebody by the head and bash them against the interior of their car or things like that? And Dude, uh, uh, but the... Can I uh, cut in here real quick? Yeah. They have my daughter. We may not be coming back. As long as you're talking about cars, we can go right back to whatever you're talking about. I wanted to talk about the Monroe Monster real quick. This is one of my favorite Bigfoot encounter reports. It's out of Michigan. Monroe Monster. This is uh, August 18th, 1965. Um, this is, I'm just reading real quick from a newspaper article here. There was a, a mother and her daughter were in a car. Um, they said the hunt for the hairy monster of Monroe was sparked by a report from 17 year old Christine Van Acker and her mother, Mrs. George Owens. They said the creature accosted them as they drove through the area last weekend. I screamed and Christine screamed, said Mrs. Owens. I looked over at my daughter and there was this huge hairy hand on top of her head. Christine, sporting a beaut of a black eye, said the hairy thing clung to the car with one hand and to her hair with the other before loping away through the woods. Another young girl showed red marks on her arm as proof the monster dragged her away. Um, The Monroe monster is a really fascinating series of events uh, in that there are it's documented like crazy. I mean, there's all sorts of newspaper articles about it. But one thing that's that's kind of funny about it is in the end, it did seem to be. B, even though there were reports after uh, this article, there was a lie detector test that proved that the the man who actually grabbed the girl in in a car was a, a man in a uh, uh, I'm trying to find where it says it was a man in an ape suit, I believe. He took a polygraph <laughs> test. Uh, the story of the seven foot tall monster was dismissed by state police police after a ho- as a hoax after a teenager and her mother. Uh, flunked a polygraph test Monday. The ladies, however, are sticking to their stories. That's what it was. Okay. But later on, that so so I completely screwed that up. So they failed a lie detector test, so the police just automatically assumed that they had been lying. But later on, a guy in a suit was found. But what's interesting is after, the, after that, there were 
continued sightings in that same area. So it's this like back and forth story. But anyway, I thought that that case kind of fit in very well here because she's in her car and something reaches into the car and starts smacking her yeah. in the head, apparently, with a hairy arm. Yeah. And one of the most famous ones, you've probably heard this before. This was from November 1969. A guy named uh, Charles Buchanan was sleeping in the rear bed of his pickup truck at Lake Worth, Texas. Mm-hmm. And he claimed that he all of a sudden was being lifted up in the air, sleeping bag and all. You know, and another Osman was in progress. And the creature that was lifting him was a cross between a human being and a gorilla or an ape. Buchanan uh, very resourcefully grabbed a bag of leftover fried chicken he had back there <laughs> with him and stuck it in the creature's face, which evidently was the right thing to do because the creature took off happily with the, the bag of food and left Buchanan to wonder, you know, what had happened there. Wow. Yeah. And so there's, there's story after story like this. And one that I think would be sort of a transition point back to where we were talking before is uh, comes out of uh, West Virginia in 1999 um, in uh, McDowell County, West Virginia. A man responded to a noise from his yard, met a tall black creature, which grabbed him and threw him down like a limp rag. Upon recovering, he found four of his dogs dead and the fifth injured. So dogs and Bigfoot don't really seem to mix too well. Not at all. And I'm not There's sure what a... that's about, um, except that you know, dogs would be uh, fairly well alerted to their presence. And uh, for creatures that sort of survive on stealth, uh, there may be something about a dog that infuriates them, you know, that they're able mm-hmm. to uh, call them out, so to speak. Yeah. This is one of those, again, calling back to the Minerva monster, dead dog. Um, guard dog, uh, if, if, if a Bigfoot wants to go where it wants to go without anyone being alerted to their presence, a dog is going to be a problem. And if, uh, if it's an intelligent primate, maybe it just says, well, I'll take out the dog, not have to worry about mm-hmm. it. So it is interesting, but... but with the final thoughts, Mark, I hate to I hate to bring this to a close, but final thoughts on aggressive Bigfoot encounters. I think, as we've said, there are some distinctions that we can properly make. It seems to me that when you get into the realm of homicidal Bigfoot, the problem there is this simply the lack of substantial evidence to link Bigfoot to deaths that occur out in nature. I mean, certainly nobody's saying those don't happen. That people do die when they go out there, but was it caused by Bigfoot or another wild animal? Um, it seems to me that so often, almost all the time, when you have a Bigfoot killed people story, there's nothing to back that up. And I used the phrase earlier, urban legend. It, it just smacks of urban legend spinning. Um, however, then you have cases where people did live to tell the tale, and that requires a little more inspection, I think. And there's lots to go on. As we've said, we're just scratching the surface as far as being assaulted by Bigfoot reports go. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think there's some really legitimate questions about how Bigfoot responds to animals. And as you know, is referred so often to as the apex predator, well, by definition, a predator is going to find something to predate and mm-hmm. eat to survive. 
And I don't think you can really chalk that up to violence uh, any more than you can chalk it up to us eating stuff uh, right. from the natural world. Um, there's also then the rock throwing and the the uh, sort of violent behavior towards the, the structures themselves, um, then uh, habitations where we live. All of which is to say that certainly I do believe there's folkloric elements to this that goes back to Native American uh, stories that were handed down through oral tradition of kidnapping creatures and and you know all that serves to to scare people and keep them from wandering away from places where they should be. I'm not saying that's the only reason why there's scary Bigfoot stories, but I do think there's an element of it to that you know deep in our psyche somewhere. Sure, sure. And on the other end of the spectrum, if there are you know if there are these creatures out there in our woods. And they are a combination of simply primate. And if there's any humanity to them whatsoever, then it stands to reason that there's going to be good big feet or Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be ones that are you know, out to do damage just because that is their personality, their nature. And I think it would be just mistaken to say that should these creatures be real, that they're all exactly the same and they behave ex- precisely the same way under a different sets of circumstances. I don't think it's a stretch to say you could get a Bigfoot that just has a chip on his shoulder or, you know, is, enjoys being brutal just as well as you could get ones that are uh, gentle and, and kind and sort of welcome your presence in the woods as long as you don't do anything ridiculous. Join the conversation at facebook.com slash sasswhat. Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag sasswhat, or you can find me on Twitter at SethBreedsLove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswhatmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and view on iTunes.